Amen. So I'm going to get out of the way. Brother Goff, thank you for being willing. Uh, we, I tried to work on a schedule and work things out. We've got several things coming up over the next couple months and trying to work with everybody's schedule and get everything worked out. And I try to give these guys, I try to get them on the schedule um, once per month. And, and this is the way it worked out. And I, I just, I believe God has talked to Brother Goff. He did a tremendous job Sunday night. And I believe we're going to hear from God again tonight. Thank you for being willing to step in again tonight and, and to help me out uh, during this time. I want you to come. I want you to take your liberty tonight. Amen. Let's preach with the preacher tonight. What do you say? Amen. Would, would you help your pastor tonight? Because I'm, I'm weary. I'm weak. I need you to get in there and do my part for me. Would you do that? I'm going to give it my best. But I need somebody helping to hold my hands up tonight as I get behind this good man of God. Come, Brother Goff. We love you. God bless you. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be back again. And uh, I'm sorry you have to have back-to-back services. This probably feels like a fast day for some of y'all. By the time we get done with today's services, amen. But I believe God has given me a word, and um, I would ask that the church be sensitive throughout the message tonight. I thank Brother Nelson for being sensitive to the Holy Ghost and helping in worship tonight. Amen. I don't want you to be silent. I want you to be sensitive and and try to follow the will of God in this service. And um, I feel like God's wanting to do, help somebody. I'll put it that way. I believe God's wanting to help somebody. They've been struggling. And uh, I feel something laid on my heart. And uh, I feel an immense burden upon my heart tonight. We're going to go back to uh, James chapter 1, where we were Sunday night. And there's a passage of Scripture I'm going to read on through. We've done James chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. But we're going to pick up in verse 12, talking about the temptation, the trials, making patience. And um, it's almost like this would be a part two, but it's really not. It's going to go a different direction. I believe God has a word for someone, and I, I would just admonish you to be sensitive and listen to the Word of God, and just listen to what God has prepared and put in my heart, and uh, I just want to get out of the way and let God do His thing. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 12, says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he, tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that 
we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen, amen. If we could lay our Bibles down, asking God to touch each and every one of our hearts. Amen. We need his touch tonight. This is not just Tuesday night. I believe God is reaching for someone, and I want to make myself available if the church body can do that tonight. Let's talk to him. Heavenly Father, we love you, Savior. Hallelujah. God, I ask that you do your perfect will. God, I ask you to minister, God. Touch this congregation. Every need in this house, God, I ask you to reach down and touch, God. Hallelujah. Do your perfect will. God, I ask you to minister, Master. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, amen. You may be seated. The message that I feel on my heart is a renewed view of the promise. A renewed view of the promise. And in light of what Bishop just stated about this being the fast month, a month of fasting, in preparation for what God is doing, already doing, toiling the soil within our hearts. It may be, if this message strikes true to someone's heart tonight, use the time of fasting to help you in whatever it is you may be wrestling with. Because there's nothing that can cut through the voices of this world, the struggles you're going through with prayer and fasting. There's no one you can go talk to. There's no one that can console you. There's no one that can, uh, there's no one that can change passwords. There's no one that can uh, take away your ID so you can't buy. There's no one that can control your mind. And I would implore you to reach down and deep within and take this message to heart and let God help you. And if you've ever had God working on your heart, and you come to the place of repentance and surrender in your life, and then God follows up with a message directed at you. Now, I'm not talking in the sense of salvation necessarily, but in this specific comment, I'm talking about your perspective of your walk with God. And you're sitting here saying in your mind, God, I've already thought we dealt with this issue. And the issue is not that he did not forgive you, and did not consider the actions of your heart sincere. And if I could give an example, think of it this way. As a parent, if you have a teenager caught taking the car without your permission, you're still going to secure the keys instead of leaving them out for a temptation. And the teenager, or whoever it may be, may even confront you and accuse them, accuse you of not even trusting them. And they would be right. Because we must not confuse forgiveness with trust. I love you enough to forgive you and help you. And in that love is the responsibility to help you gain trust. Trust is earned through love. And our problem with trust with God is we need to learn to trust Him so He can trust us. He gives us talents. He gives us the means and the ways but we must learn to trust God. He knows, Brother Jerome, the intent of the heart. He knows the deepest part of our heart. And God uses his word to seat 
the action of forgiveness and give strength in the areas of weakness. I really feel this tonight. And the lesson we must learn is that all strength is derived from Him. Every bit of the strength that we may have in our walk with God, in walking every day and getting up, and you pick your Bible up, there may be days that you pick it up out of habit. But you're going to need His strength to sustain you through His Word. There may be days you get down on your knees out of habit, but it's His strength that turns that prayer time into something that changes your life and things break within you and you can go through the motion and you can be just the Christian, but it's His strength that endures temptation. It is those verses of Scripture that we see only good comes from above, as we read in James chapter 1. But the verse of Scripture that I would like to zero in on, there's so much in this passage that I read, and I may speak to them just briefly, but more so I plan to focus on James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It is our responsibility to respond to temptation in the appropriate manner by which the Word of God has established. And James gives a contrast to the lust of man's flesh with the perfect, fulfilling gift that only God can give. He says that it is the good, perfect, it is the one thing that we can expect from God. He's never going to give us something that will destroy us. We read in the text in the scripture, says that if there's anything that pulls you away from God, it's on the lust of your flesh. It's not God pushing you away to see if you really love Him. I want that to sink into your heart. That the only time that if you find yourself away from God, no matter what phase of life you're in, no matter what you're going through, if you find yourself where God is distant, it's not because He's punishing you. If you don't feel God the way that you should, it's not because He's punishing you and pushing you away from His presence and keeping you from finding forgiveness and a place with Him. He is drawing you. He's wanting us to find the perfect gift that only He can give. James gives that contrast. He illustrated the authority and consistency of God in a manner that is thought to be ahead of His time. The words he chose were advanced in thinking, inspired of, of the Holy Ghost, and since then the scientific community had not quite verbalized what James was trying to describe in what we understand in the modern term of parallax. Parallax. Parallax means the apparent displacement of an observed object due to a change in the position of the observer. Now that's a definition provided by smart people, of which I am not. So I will use a more elementary example to talk to you about parallax. The first known use of the word parallax in print was in the year 1580 by an astronomer who used to describe when one heavenly body cast a shadow upon another. And we see this, and we've seen it just a few years ago, 
when we had a solar eclipse, where we have the earth, we have the sun, and we have the moon come in between the two planets, and we have a parallax. We have a shadow cast upon earth from the sun passing over the object, which was the moon. To make it even simpler, if I may, and I apologize to make it so simple, but if those of you that are familiar with binoculars or familiar even with uh, what I think best suits this example would be a scope, and you look through a scope, and there are multiple focal planes um, within um, what I'm talking about in the elements of a parallax. There are three focal planes. There is first, second, and third focal planes. The first focal plane is your eye. Your first focal plane is the eye. The second focal plane is the scope. It is the reticle by which we aim. And the third object is, I'm sorry, the third focal plane is the object, the target. And that is make that represents the first, second, and third. So you have your eye, that which you hold and look through and view everything through. Then you have the challenge, the target, the course, whatever it is beyond that. And that gives you three lined up um, focal planes to give you the field of view that you would desire. This can be described if you take two fingers, two of your fingers, and you place them in front of you. And if you line all three of them up with your eye looking at your first finger, when you look at the second one and you align it with the third one, they all become one. And you have successfully done the three focal planes. Now, if you were to do something which allows uh, for something they call parallax error, and that is when the first focal plane shifts, and, it's, and it's, it's something that's unique because your mind will tell you that the second parallax and the third parallax have now moved. So if I line up the second and third parallax and I move my eye, it makes it look like this finger went over to the right. When in fact, when I move my eye, it is lined up directly and I am the one. My view, the first focal plane, has moved. Even though your fingers are not moving, they are in fact appearing to move based upon the adjustment to the first vo focal plane. And the only way to correct the parallax error is to adjust your position so that you come back in line with the second and the third parallax. And now you have all three in unison. There are other ways to account for it. But I will, in this example, through the Word of God, I want to tell you that the Word of God does not make provision for our error and allow us to stay in it. The Word of God challenges us and changes us and allows us to rise to the occasion to meet the, the expectation that God has laid out for us in the Word of God. It doesn't say, you'll be okay, we'll handle that in 10 or 20, 30 years God asks us when he tells us to repent, it's lay everything down, not some. When he says be baptized for the remission of sins, it's for all sins, not you cleave to the ones that are your favorites. And so in salvation, we find that there is no room for a parallax error. You have to follow each and every step as a means of salvation. 
You cannot adjust to your opinion and allow them to be adjusted and modified and still think that you have all three parallax lined up. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, it says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I press toward the mark. Now, I know this passage talks about running the race. We have the objective in front of us. But what I want to emphasize is having a mark, a goal, an objective. You cannot have Christ and not have the objective in sight. It is the kingdom of God. Christianity has become so watered down that churches are satisfied to possess the label of Christianity that they do not have the focus of all three focal planes aligned. They make adjustments to their message at the first focal plane. That is what their eyes see. Their feelings dictate doctrines and not the word of God. Social acceptance dictates what is sin. And under the umbrella of inclusivity, they allow perversion to run rampant on their platforms and in their pews. You see, they have changed the first focal plane to allow for something that now allows for all things. And there is no distinction between the church and the world. And the label everything that doesn't line up to their adjusted view to legalism and bigotry. The banner of truth, God's word, has no variableness. It is the church that doesn't line up. If the church doesn't line up to your opinions, then I have one answer to your question. The church has not changed. The church is forever settled. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you find that you don't line up to the preached word of God, it's not because it has now drifted and it needs to be recalibrated or it needs to have some form of an adjustment. No, I dare say it is you or I that need to make our own adjustments to align back to the Word of God. We don't have to filter what the Word of God is based upon on popularity. It stands forever settled as the absolute Word of God, and it is true. There is no variableness. I find it interesting that James, he used something that we describe as consistency. If you were to try to describe something that happens without fail, we would say the sun rises and it goes down. But James showed the sun as having variableness. Sometimes of the year, it comes over this part of the earth. Another time of the year, the axis tilts and we're starting to come back and it goes over another part of the earth. Sometimes we have clouds over our head and we don't see the sun. We have planets come in front of it. And, and he's showing and painting a picture, even as reliable and consistent as the sun, moon, and stars are, and it runs to a perfect science. God is still more perfect than that. Because we experience variableness based upon what happens. We have, we have an eclipse. We have uh, we have times when the sun comes in the window on this side when we're in the wintertime, and then we have the sun come in this window when it's in the summertime and beats in the, the room, and it warms that room up. And we find there's variableness. But he was saying that there is no variableness in God. He does not change. There is nothing you can do to push him one way or the other. He is God. 
Now, we've talked about some examples, and I promise not to be long today. There's examples of denominal churches, and what I said was real and relevant. You can go and type in in every map uh, application you have and drop a pen, and I promise you there's going to be churches all around that neighborhood. But they will not be preaching truth. You'll find that every part of town has someone in there saying, we're a church and we can help you. But unless they are preaching the preached word of God, the absolute truth, it's just a social event. It's just a stepping stone for someone to go from there and possibly lead them to truth. But I don't want to spend all of our time tonight talking about them. Let's talk about us. I want to take us to another familiar passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the hall of faith. And you should be able to quote this. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So let's take this verse of Scripture and let's break it down in the context of everything I said about parallax with James. The first focal plane, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So without confidence in God, his plan, his ways, his truth, it goes on to say it is impossible to please him. God, one cannot please God if you have no confidence in him. If you doubt what you see from your perspective, you will not please God. For he that cometh to God, he is the possessor of the first focal plane. We go on to the second focal plane. Must believe that he is. Who is he? God. We go to the third focal plane. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Your belief in God will allow you to achieve the goal that God has placed in front of you. You have your view. And the only way you can be successful in life and fulfilled in life is to view your goals and objectives through Jesus Christ. And the moment that it doesn't look appealing, it's because you have shifted your focal plane. He hasn't changed. And the goal hasn't changed. Because he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And if your career and your position and your title and your amount and your bank account are those are your goals, I'm sorry, but you've shifted the focal plane. And if I could say this, this is tax season, saints. When you get those checks, keep the kingdom of God in mind. Keep the kingdom of God in mind. Don't lose sight of the kingdom in all that you say and do. You must view everything that you do through Jesus Christ. Because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And if you want to have faith, you must have it founded upon him. Now, I have just a few more things to go through. And hopefully, you're grasping what I'm trying to convey, what God has laid on my heart. But we have a beautiful example found in the book of Ruth. If you go to Ruth chapter 2, I'm going to read a few passages from Ruth chapter 2. But for the sake of time, I'll recap a few things. What happened in the first chapter, first part of, the, of chapter 2. You see, Ruth comes to meet Boaz as she was working in one of the fields gleaning with the reapers. And after inquiring of her name, 
He was told of her diligence in cleaning food, uh, gleaning food, and Boaz calls out to her and says, don't glean from another field. You stay here. This is where you need to stay. This is the place that you need to find sustenance. I don't want you to want for anything. And she was just meeting Boaz for the first time. I find it interesting. They said he was, I think it was Bethlehem. He was coming from Bethlehem, walks up, talks to the people. They say it's well, and immediately, who's that? Oh, that's, that's Ruth. You know, if you ever feel like you're lost in the kingdom, if you ever feel like no one knows your name, if you ever feel like God doesn't even know you exist, I would ask, are you about your father's business? Because that's the quickest way to get into the sights of our Heavenly Father. When you're crying out to Him, when you're talking to Him, when the relationship isn't one way, but it's both ways. When you're sitting there saying, listen, God, I need you. But He needs us. He created us to worship Him, to lift our voices in freedom and be able to make that choice. That's why He allows us to change our view. He gives us the choice called free will. Do I want God or do I not? And whenever the church looks appealing, it's when you have lined up your view of what you want in your life with God and the kingdom of God. And the moment that it begins to fade and wane and you feel like I'll just do this anyway or it's not for me or those crazy people, they don't preach truth, they call themselves the truth church, but yet... They teach this, and that's wrong. I promise you, your eyes have drifted off that first focal plane. He gives you that choice. It's called free will. You can get up every morning and sin every day. That's your prerogative. But God has painted a beautiful picture. When we look at Ruth, we find out what God did in this situation. He tells her, I don't want you to thirst. And he says, If you're thirst, go drink from the vessel. If you're hungry, I want you to come over here, and I want you to dip, and I want you to get food, and I want you to be sustained. He made sure that he even told those that were working in the field, he says, I want her to go and walk amongst the plenty. She's been harvesting from the few what you didn't glean or what you didn't pick up. But I now give her permission to walk in the midst of the sheaves and begin to get all that she wants and she needs. Saints of God, I'm here to tell you God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. He doesn't want us to be down on our knees trying to find one grain at a time. But he says, I shall supply all your needs. I will fulfill your needs. I will give unto you your needs. I will give when you get down on your knees and pray and say, God, I'm in a time of need. He will supply. He will be a strength in that time of temptation. He will be the one that lifts you up and you say, God, I can't do it on your on my own. And he's right there saying, you're exactly right. I don't want you to do it on your own. I want you to lean on me, the everlasting Savior, the one that's proven time and time again that I can handle anything you can throw at me. Just keep looking at me. Just keep looking at me.
And the passage of Scripture that I found so beautiful is in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 12. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. And this, to me, is a beautiful illustration. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. What a place. What a place to live. What a place to find as a refuge. What a place to reside. What a place to find your first focal plane. And to look out and say, this is beautiful. This is what he promised me. He would take care of me. But let us look at Ruth. Ruth, a Moabite, didn't even have rights to anything that Boaz offered her. Can you imagine all the people that worked in his field? But he brought her in and elevated her because she was putting her sights upon what was right. She may not have known all about God, but she was living the benefits because she set her first focal plane upon him. She moved out of her land, attached herself to another family, placed her loyalty to Naomi, and said, your God will be my God. It all comes down to this, submission to the plan. Submission to the plan. The last example we'll get to in just a moment in Genesis. But we find how beautiful it is that God knows how to take care of his children without fail. All you have to do is line up your sights upon him. There's another example that I'd like to submit tonight. The biblical history shows the drastic change that God placed upon the earth and scattered them abroad in Genesis chapter 11 and confuses their language. And then he goes through the genealogy after the Tower of Babel has been constructed and they're, they're trying to build this thing up. God scatters them. And, and we see God connects the lineage from Adam down to Abram in chapter 11. And then the very first verse of Scripture, we find where God calls Abram. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. What's interesting when he says, Get thee out, he says in Hebrew, he's saying, Go, go thyself. The second go in the Hebrew language indicated an urgency by which God was instructing Abram. It was a call to obedience to receive the promise that God had in store for him. And I'm so glad he did because that was the fulfillment of that promise, laid out a change that would impact all of us into this present day today. A promise that God poured out in the time of his Holy Ghost being poured out upon the flesh. And, and it all laid the stage where you had all the lineage of Abram come down and began to go through life. And I remember a message that 
Bishop preached a few months ago talking about how the devil tried to stop the spread of the seed, of the sons being born in every generation there at the beginning and trying to stop them from happening. And it was beautiful because he opened the doors and made it all come to pass. And it all began to unfold with Abram. But it was a call to obedience. And I don't know what God is calling you in your life. And I feel at the beginning God is trying to help somebody through their time of whatever they're going through. And only God knows and you know. But I'm here to encourage the saints of God. There is a promise that lies before us. And it is based upon our ability to get past every issue, every problem, every personality. And fast and pray and align that first focal plane. Because the second and the third will not change. Because God will not adjust to say, well, I guess you're right. Let me move over and put you back in position. It's his grace and his mercy that he extends to us. That's how he adjusts for the first focal plane. For that parallax air of our own mind saying, I don't feel like I need to do this anymore. He says, listen, come on now. You can do better than this. Why don't you get down on your knees and pray? And it's an interesting change that happens in your life. The moment you begin to commit to God, he steps in and starts to modify and change you. And you'll notice things are looking a little different. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to talk this way. I don't want to conduct myself this way. The house of God means more to me. And it begins to go down and modify us. It's because we are now getting back in line with the Word of God and the end game, which is the kingdom of God. In closing, if the musicians would come in one last final verse of Scripture, Boaz speaking with Ruth, he told her, trusting the God of Israel would bring a comfort under the wings of that great God. He says that in verse 12, the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given of the Lord God of Israel, given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Could it be that Boaz was bringing up the very next passage to light into the heart of the young lady that did not know anything about the history of Naomi's people that had arrived to where they're at at that moment in time. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, after these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You see, God laid out a great plan for Abram, changed his name, made him a mighty nation, and put out there and says, listen, your seed will be as great as the stars in heaven. It laid out a beautiful promise, but it was conditional. He had to go out of a land that didn't believe how God was wanting him to believe. He had to go on a journey. He had to go to a place. He had to see in a vision what God was trying to lay out before Abram and saying, listen, Abram, I'm going to make you a promise. I did it a chapter or two before. I'm going to renew that same promise. Abram, listen to me. This is the vision I gave you. Fear not. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. If you've lost the view of the promise in your life, I encourage you, saints, align yourself on that first focal plane and say, God, I'm back in the saddle again. I see your view, and it's amazing. It's beautiful. 
It may have been years since you've talked in tongues. It may have been recent that you began to come to church. It may have been just something you decided to change on your own, but I promise you, you may think it's your own, but it's God modifying your vision, saying, come back. I'll show you something that's great. I'll blow your mind. You thought you only remembered what it used to be like. Let me show you something beautiful and renew this again and again and again. You only think you're happy. But when you get back on the first focal plane, and you see Christ, and you see the plan for your life, and the promise that He's laid out for you. What a beauty to behold. The people here on earth, and Pastor talked about it Sunday morning, about the healing and the people being awe-inspired. I brought it up on another healing, and talking about an axe, and talked about the people were amazed. But I promise you, it pales in comparison when you get back on the first focal plane and you see what God has for you and you have a renewed perspective on your promise that God has laid out for you. The parallels between the provision and protection that God promised Abram and how Boaz provided for Ruth and the promise that was extended to her is equally available to us today. Our vision must be aligned to what God wants us to see and not limited to our fleshly, fleshly inadequate view of what we think church and people and all of that should be like. we got to get it back to where we say, God, you changed me on this state and this time. Or if it's a fresh touch, God, I need you to renew me. I need you to reach down and touch my life. God is here to renew your sight, align your view, and bolster your trust in Him. But it all must fall in line to where you see the Word of God clearly and the vision that He has laid out for your life. Can we stand this evening? It's all beautiful in His sight. And God has a plan. And I don't know, and you can talk to Bishop, and I promise you, he probably won't know everything that God's going to do in your life. But there are some fundamentals that we could all Apply this too. Use this month of prayer and fasting. Let's find our vision. Let's find our place. Let's get back in the saddle again. Let's see what God has laid out before us. Get past your temptation, the trial that you're finding yourself in time and time again. It's not that God's forgot about you. It's that you've shifted off center. You no longer see it. You say, well, I can still see the crosshairs. But no, it's not on the goal. It's not on the kingdom. Because here's what happens. When you shift first focal plane in a scope, what happens is it gets darker and darker. And the perimeter starts to take over from your vision. And you no longer see the exact cross-section of the crosshairs because your view, either be forward or back, there is a precise place of eye relief on a scope of so many inches. And it's set up for each individual person. And you make adjustments. God has put you in the right place tonight, saints. Find peace in where he's placed you. There's nowhere to run. There's no other place to go. Get back in the saddle and line perfectly up with the vision he's trying to renew in your heart tonight.
Can we lift our hands? Can we all over this house minister to the needs and create the atmosphere? God's trying to help somebody and reach for their heart tonight. Let's lift our voices and talk to Him. Minister to us again, God, through this time of lifting our voices unto You, the great God of heaven. Allow us to align our hearts to You, Master. Hallelujah. I'd like to offer You, give You an opportunity to find a place to pray. Allow God to realign your focus, to allow you to find the place you need to be. God, set my sights upon you. I would encourage us, each and every one, find a place. Settle in. Say, God, change me. Allow me to see you as you would have it. Allow me to align my sights, my goals, my vision, and see your vision, your plan for me. Hallelujah. Let's talk to him tonight. Heavenly Father, we worship you.